Welcome to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. This episode features Beatriz Ponce de Leon, Executive Director of Generation All, a citywide initiative to unite Chicagoans in revitalizing neighborhood public high schools so all students experience high-quality learning opportunities both in and outside of the classroom. Beatriz brings more than 20 years of experience working with nonprofit organizations and public institutions in Chicago. She has implemented public education campaigns, led community and organizational planning processes, designed and facilitated workshops for youth and adults, and authored numerous action plans and reports. In this episode, we learned about Generation All's efforts to improve neighborhood public high schools in Chicago. B offers great insight on how we can address educational challenges in the city, such as growing investment, supporting teacher professional development, and post-secondary advising. We also learn about why collaborative leadership and decision-making is valuable. I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, here's B. B, thanks for joining us at Latino in Chicago. Good to see you. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Great. Looking forward to it. So can you tell us about Generation All? Sure. Generation All is a new initiative in Chicago, and our mission is to revitalize our neighborhood public high schools because we believe that those schools um, create opportunity for young people to have higher quality learning, um, both in and out of the classroom, and that they need the support of the wider community for that. Awesome. How did it get started? I would say about almost three years ago now, when the last um, teacher contract happened in Chicago, we extended the school day as a city. So all schools added extra time. And this wasn't an easy um, decision. It was something that the mayor was really pushing for. Um, but there was a lot of uh, detail about how that would unfold and what it would mean for schools, for teachers. Um, after the city went longer school day, the Ford Foundation actually approached the trust about helping to support that rollout because they, at a national level, were working in different cities to get school districts to experiment with having a longer school day and making sure that that longer day was used to really improve education. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a collaboration between Ford, the trust, and then both CPS, Barbara Bird Bennett was involved at that time, and Karen Lewis from the Teachers Union. Mm -hmm. And then these four groups came together to think about, with this longer day, longer year, what could we do to make a difference um, from an equity lens to improve education in Chicago? And eventually that became a focus on high schools, mm -hmm. and then a focus on improving our neighborhood public high schools, because they're the schools that reach really the highest needs communities. They're the schools that are open to anyone who walks through their doors, and they tend to serve the highest um, population of low-income students and families. Um, so thinking about equity and how to bring greater opportunity and have better outcomes for young people, um, this leadership group decided to focus on that. Afterwards, we began a process of, um, well, let me start again. So af after that vision came together with both CPS and the CTU at the table and the two foundation partners, um, I was hired as a project manager and to really just take what was a proposal and create an initiative out of that. 
And so one of the pieces that we were committed to doing was to having a an inclusive and more transparent planning process that had both a grassroots and a grass tops approach. So rather than just have a group of people, again, from like policy circles and decision-making circles or even nonprofit leaders come together, we wanted to make sure that this process included people from the schools, both students and parents and teachers who would be impacted by whatever these recommendations or this plan would be. And by doing that, we were then able to really kind of keep a focus on the, the equity perspective. Mm -hmm. So really stay true to saying, how are we going to, what are we going to do differently that can help to serve students in our neighborhood high schools? Mm -hmm. um, that unfolded, that became a steering committee of 41 people, and it included four students from four different high schools across the city, teachers, principals, um, community-based organizations like youth-serving groups, but then also city agencies. So we had senior-level people from DFSS, from the libraries, the parks, from CPS, the CTU, the union was there. It was a really interesting mix of folks who aren't always at the decision-making table together, mm -hmm. and learning together planning together, making decisions together, building community. Yeah. Um, this group then came together for about a year and a half. We, we did a lot of, um, you know, like diving into what are the biggest issues that are facing our youth, what are the issues facing our schools, what would it take to make these neighborhood high schools strong, successful, high-performing schools that really serve young people the way they need to be served. We brought in some experts to help us think through, learn from the latest research. We created a lot of space for people to share their own expertise mm -hmm. on the ground doing this work. Um, and then collectively, we put together a new vision and a new plan for um, supporting our schools. And that plan is called Strong Neighborhood High Schools for a Stronger Chicago, which really captures the vision of what this group is now about. Great. Uh, what was your journey to generational? Um, it was unexpected. I think that that happens with a lot of a lot of good opportunities and good jobs mm -hmm. in you know in life. But um, I had been working with organizations for I would say about twenty years now, both either as a paid staff person, nonprofit organizations, or as a consultant for like the last fifteen, ten to fifteen years. Mm -hmm. And in many of those cases. I was working on projects that the trust funded. Okay. So I always felt like, for some reason, the work that I wanted to do and was working um, with was always like funded by the trust. Mm -hmm. And that last project that I was a part of was running um, a group at Chicago Public Schools called the Bilingual Ed and World Language Commission. It was a blue ribbon commission that was convened by CPS. I was hired as a project manager. It eventually became an initiative mm -hmm. and it really transformed in some ways what CPS was doing and the vision that they had for bilingual education and world language. Through that work, I got to know um, a couple of the trust program officers, the education program officers, mm -hmm. and then when this opportunity came up around this high school work, they you know, invited me to apply for it and to come on and, and be part of their team. So that's how I ended up with this work. I don't have a background in high school. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, you know, at the time I, my kids were about to go into high school, yeah. one of them, but I don't have expertise in high school. So I was a little bit like hesitant, you know, mm -hmm. and I, at first I said no to the opportunity even to apply, but then I mean, they came back to me and I thought about it again. 
And um, what I think I brought to the effort was not so much the expertise in high school, but the expertise in planning, in coalition building, in um, creating processes that include the end user, you know, the people who are impacted by these plans, yeah. um, and a real commitment to kind of um, open dialogue mm -hmm. and consensus building and decision making, yeah. which is not always the case in some of these planning efforts. And yeah. I think that's what Peggy Miller, the program officer who um, asked me to apply for this, really saw me do before and thought would be a good um, set of skills yeah. to bring to this task. Yeah. Is there anything particular about this type of work in high school or in a youth setting that compels you, that, that drives you to want to push forward? Yeah, I have always had a really strong belief in like the power and potential of young people. Mm -hmm. And even coming out, I think it started um, in college in terms of like my undergraduate um, job on campus was in the admissions office. So it was like the student recruiter for Chicano students, mm. trying to get more Mexican-American students to come to our school. And um, I did that because I really felt um, compelled to kind of share the opportunities that I was having at this university to get them out into, to get more people from my personal background being Mexican, Mexican-American, mm -hmm. but just thinking more in terms of getting more, um, you know, people of color, more low-income students to be able to, to go to this very nice elite university. Um, and I, even though I was young myself, because I was in college, I just remember having that drive, mm -hmm. that thing, thinking like, opportunities for young people, especially for young people of color or low-income, um, from low-income backgrounds. And then over time in my own career, everything that I've chosen to work on um, has involved youth in one way or another. Yeah. So it was around, um, I did a lot of work in the public health field, advocating for young people's rights to access health and mental health care. I was a policy director at the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health for a while and through that work we ran the Healthy Choices Campaign, mm, yeah. which was all about getting young people to know their rights, mm -hmm. know their resources, and then working with the adults in the field to get them to respect youth's decision-making you know, powers and their rights, legal rights, to mm -hmm. access certain services. Um, we did a lot of advocacy work in that job to get youth to be able to sign themselves up for public health insurance, it was mm. called Kid Care at mm -hmm. the time. That was a big deal to get young people to be able to get a certain number of mental health sessions without having to get parental permission. Um, but that work at the caucus, which is, they now go more by ICA, that work was really uh, transformational for me because it's where I learned um, youth development strategies, but mm -hmm. then also about developing young people as actors in their own lives, right? Yeah. So it's not doing for them, but enabling them, building their capacity to do on their own yeah. and really be um, leaders, you know, in, in one way or another for themselves and for others. And then I think just in terms of youth having two daughters and at every stage in their lives, my professional interests were kind of aligned with what was going on with them. Mm. But um, because I think that's just natural, right? As a parent, yeah. if you have a toddler, you're very aware of like, 
things that have to do with raising young children mm. and programs for them. Um, but I always kind of had this lens towards high school. Like I always kept thinking, okay, so when they're adolescents, like what does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and you learn so much from your own kids if mm -hmm. you really are open to their voice and their needs, and um, that translates into, you know, doing other kinds of work. Yeah. Um, so this question is kind of dual-fold. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious what impact looks like for Generation All mm -hmm. from a strategic planning vantage point. And I'm wondering if you can situate that impact in some of the challenges that Chicago is facing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know, we our recommendations ended up falling into three buckets: mm -hmm. policy, um, which is some key changes that we think the city needs to make to really put neighborhood high schools front and center and make them a real choice for students. Yeah. Practice, which is about the business of teaching and learning what actually happens in schools, both academically and in other realms of student supports, of um, community engagement, but all about that kind of making the school a safe, exciting place to be mm -hmm. and learn. And then public engagement, because we found that people just have lost faith in our public education system in many yeah. regards. and even more um, directly in neighborhood schools or neighborhood public high schools because we've created a system here of many options which sounds good at first you think we should all have a choice and be able to send our kids to the best school we can mm -hmm. um, but the city opened with Renaissance 2010 they opened you know 100 schools <laughs> in 10 years basically and increased the number of high schools by something like 39 percent yeah. while the number of students only grew by two percent okay. in that same time period so we've created more high school seats than we need mm. and in some cases we've opened not just charter but also selective enrollment schools but some in some cases we've opened charter schools more than one walking distance from a neighborhood high school mm -hmm. and there has to be a little more planning that goes along with where we're opening these right. schools because you can't um, you know open a shiny new building and expect that without even knowing if it's going to be a good school but just the fact that it's a new facility there's a lot of investment in it there's mm -hmm. excitement around it um, and expect the existing school to be able to compete with that yeah. on a, in a sort of a long-term basis. Yeah. So in terms of impact, what I what we would like to see as generational is that enrollment in our neighborhood high schools would increase. Okay. Because we have seen a drain in some of the schools and although on the one hand people will say well it's because, you know, kids want to go somewhere else. Um, but if we're not investing in those schools to continue to make them stronger in the facilities so that they have, um, you know, attractive buildings and working water fountains and new books and technology, then those schools really can't compete with the new schools that are opening up. Yeah. So over time, we think that um, by increasing enrollment back into these schools, money follows that, right? Because you are funded by the number of students that you have at your school. Yeah. Um, and we can see partnerships with foundations or corporate fun, um, funders to really bring new resources into the schools mm -hmm. that we can make our neighborhood high schools strong um, community institutions again. Yeah. In some neighborhoods, that's more necessary than in others. I mean, uh, the strong neighborhood high school, that's a community resource is great. We see that all the time in small towns or in the suburbs. You don't have to go very far from mm -hmm. Chicago 
to see that happening. And even in some of our Chicago neighborhoods. But um, in some communities where there are no public institutions, there's already a lack of businesses, there's already a lot of community disinvestment. Uh, if we let the high school also falter and devolve, then we're just helping to kind of um, disinvest and really bring that neighborhood down. Mm -hmm. From an education perspective, what can Chicago improve on? That's a really big question there. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately it is. Yeah. No, it is. Um, so uh, we, you know, for high school, we've thought about our committee, and we had again a mix of educators, policymakers, um, youth service providers, mm -hmm. wide variety of people. Um, the five things that we centered on from an education perspective was one that teaching has to be more student-centered in a way that is more relevant to young people's lives now. Mm -hmm. So that can be, you know, people will simply say, "Oh, well." teach hip-hop in the schools or use music you know those are some ways but it goes way deeper than that it's mm -hmm. about how do we how are we teaching students and what kinds of courses and information are we bringing that um, really are more relevant to how they're living their lives today yeah. so technology is a big part of teaching um, with young people now linking it to their communities what they see in their community and in their world mm -hmm. is really important to do you can't you know, have a history class and not take into account the issues that we're dealing with in our country and in, in the city. That's a big lift to really make teaching more student-centered, relevant, um, and meaningful that they can learn and apply to their life. But there yeah. are there's movement to do that in, in different places and in different ways. The second one, I think, is um, Finding ways to give educators, not just teachers, but principals as well, opportunities to be professionals and to learn from each other as well as across, across like from each other in their own building, but also across schools in our city mm -hmm. and with other educators. Yeah. I, as a professional, get to go to a couple conferences a year in another city. I learn from you know people in other parts of the city or the world. Um, teachers and principals don't get that much opportunity for that and yet they have to be on top of their game all the time yeah so we really need to invest in our educators giving those opportunities to learn yeah. um, and to under and to learn from each other as well as from experts the the third area I think is that academically it impacts academics but it's about creating um, safe and supportive environments so our schools they're not always safe and supportive for everyone. Mm -hmm. So on the one level, like there's youth, you know, in terms of making sure that young people feel safe when they walk through the doors of their school, yeah. but also that discipline isn't so over the top that it actually creates a lack of safety mm -hmm. <laughs> and causes other problems by penalizing young people for minor things, mm -hmm. by creating a, an environment where they feel afraid, you know, yeah. to, to do something because they're going to get punished or suspended. And then it has to do with being supportive. So what are the needs of our students beyond the learning process that the adults in the building can help, you know, to, to kind of cultivate so that they feel safe to explore, safe to make mistakes, um, safe to really participate in class. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of that. Um, another area I would say for educators is looking at how we are offering post-high school advising for students. For years, CPS has had a like um, a very everyone goes to college, 
kind of focus, and they've done a lot of good work around that. So for not, like now, most students fill out the FAFSA, whether or not they know they're going to college for sure, yeah. they fill it out, and CPS people help them do that. Um, there are opportunities for them to explore applying to colleges, and it, there's a decent amount of work, and there are a lot of partner organizations that, that do that with the yeah. schools, because the schools can handle it all on their own. Um, but what they might be missing are two things. One, not all neighborhood high schools have staff that are working with young people to figure out what's going to come next after high school yeah. because they've had to make really tough choices about what positions they fund. Um, so while some of our higher achieving schools clearly have a college coach, they clearly have guidance counselors that work on college, some of our neighborhood high schools with smaller staffs don't and so those students are missing out on that. And the third, the second piece to that whole post high school kind of advising is giving opportunities for young people to explore other things like a, you know, apprenticeship program to be a carpenter or um, a technology program to learn coding and work in that field. We haven't done as good of a job of creating those opportunities that are um, high quality opportunities so it's not just sort of a a path to a dead-end job, but it's actually a path to a living wage career. Mm -hmm. um, they can go hand-in-hand hand with college, yeah. but we have to do a better job of doing that more holistically. Yeah. yeah. Are there things Chicago's getting right? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of work in that space of like going to college yeah. and also going into different types of jobs that mm -hmm. might not require college. They're just not like talking to each other necessarily, yeah. uh, but there's more and more opportunity for that. I think Chicago CPS, with the, the research coming out of the University of Chicago, the Consortium for School Research, mm -hmm. they identified years ago that there were a couple of factors in the freshman year that would determine how likely a student is to graduate and then go on to college. And it's called the freshman on track mm -hmm. uh, measure. And so once, like, the data showed that, the analysis that the consortium at the University of Chicago did, CPS really embraced it with some support from the university and from other partners. And so all, like they made a big push for high schools to focus on that. How do we make sure that our freshmen are on track by the end of ninth grade? Mm -hmm. That meant reorganizing some departments, that meant putting together teams to look at that factor, that meant working on attendance, working with families, mm -hmm. it meant making sure kids were not gonna fail a class because those, that's one of the markers. Yep. So they've done that and I think that freshman on track and everything that went around it to support is what has resulted in our high school graduation rates being the highest that they've ever been the number of students projected to be on track is keeps going up mm -hmm. um, and we have a higher number of students entering college awesome. um, but all that said where we see gaps is in um, the types of schools so at the Select Enrollment School, at the higher performing neighborhood schools like let's say Lincoln Park or Kenwood, those, those rates are pretty high, right, mm -hmm. and you see it. At our neighborhood schools, the ones that are very small because they're under-enrolled or the ones that, um, that the freshman class that is coming in is already kind of struggling, you know, they're the students with the lower test scores probably at their elementary school. Yeah. We're not seeing the same rapid gains mm -hmm. because um, we've kind of concentrated struggling students in some of those schools. Mm -hmm. So even though freshman on track has helped everyone across the system, we see some disparities. Mm -hmm.
it does totally mm-hmm. make sense mm-hmm. um let's transition to leadership a little bit what sure. would you say your general approach to leading is wow <laughs> <laughs> yes good question um i think as a leader i tend to be very collaborative i like to um I recognize very early on that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I know some things, and I have a vision, and I can be very committed, you know, to to um, certain work. But I know that as a leader, I'm only as good as the people around me. Mm-hmm. So my approach is to build the capacity of others that mm-hmm. are working with me, um, to always create opportunities for for shared decision making and sort of collaborative work. Um, that's uncomfortable sometimes because, you know, that puts me like in, like I have to be open to criticism and to thinking that maybe the idea that I'm proposing might not be the right one or that it can be tweaked. And, but I think that, that in the end, um, whatever I'm working on is stronger when I'm able to do that with my team and the people that are, I involve, um, in the work. I also do try to be as, um, as. Um, sort of candid and transparent with people and yeah. why I'm doing a certain thing or why you know I'm making decisions or the approach and the strategy that I've taken to explain that so that yeah. it makes sense to others and I can engage them then in that vision with me yeah um, are there things you wish you knew about this work before you got started mm, the <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I, I, I thought about that question earlier and I I can't say I don't think so because I knew a lot of the work that I've done throughout my career has been starting new things Mm -hmm. so it's often been taking um, you know an idea that someone else maybe started with like a proposal and then building that out and Mm. getting people involved and it's and much of the work that I've done has also been very aspirational. Like it's very big stuff. So like like working on you know um, like the bilingual ed and world language that was a really big it was a really big effort. It involved a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of used to dreaming big, trying to have these high level visions. Yeah charting out a way to do it, involving others in it, but recognizing that the path is rarely ever straight. And you're going to be throwing some curveballs. You can try to anticipate those and be ready to respond to changes, but um, you can't really anticipate everything. So Mm -hmm. you just have to be kind of flexible and go along the way. I don't think anything has shocked me (laughs) about this work, but it's kept me on my toes. Very good. Uh, is there any literature that's inspiring either your leadership style or work today? Today, <laughs> um, this is sad to say, but I have not really focused on reading any books or mm-hmm. things like um, recently that are just sort of of interest. I guess I would say that I find myself um, following a lot of education writing and Mm -hmm. especially with an equity lens. Mm -hmm. So people who are writing about education as a public good or who are looking at education as um, almost like a civil rights issue, uh, those are the things that have been the most of interest because I think understanding education as a public good instead of as something that the market, you know, has a role in makes a big difference in how we approach the work of 
building schools and supporting young people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, mm -hmm. that would be the closest. You spent some time <coughs> recapping <coughs> Generation All's vision for our city and for neighborhood schools in particular. How would you say folks can help get engaged in that work? Oh, that's a great question. So we approached like the generational work from almost three ways. One was this inclusive planning process that included a variety of voices and perspectives. Another was to think about our communications of it. So we've been very active on social media, with our website, we've done speaking, you know, speaker series, getting, using the communications tools that we have at our disposal to generate like a citywide dialogue and people's learning and understanding and debating about this issue of equity and supporting neighborhood schools. And then the third is thinking about like building a network of partners and allies that can um, help us carry out this vision. So in terms of connecting people to it, I think there are, there are in, in all three of those buckets, you know, um, follow us on social media. We're really active on Facebook and Twitter and on our website and we try to post resources, the latest research, but also just um, information that is of use to young people and to the adults working with them. Mm -hmm. um, and we're connected to a national network in that way as well through our social media. Follow us on social media, retweet, learn, you know, follow the links, get to know what this issue is about. Yeah. I would say the another way is to connect with us around if you are in the nonprofit field, if you're an educator, if you're a policymaker, um, an elected official, there are things that are in our in our plan that we're working on this year in terms of making some policy changes that will require the the support of decision makers and people yeah. with influence. So that's a way um, if you're interested in this issue of supporting and revitalizing neighborhood high schools because they are an asset to Chicago, then you know that's a way to connect with us. That's as well. Cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank Good. you for the time, V. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right. Good. Thanks for tuning in. That was Beatriz Ponce de Leon of Generational. As always, I certainly appreciate you listening. If you're enjoying the conversations, please jump on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice and leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way to helping us connect to other listeners and helping other listeners find us. Next up is Katia Nukes of Enlace Chicago, so stay tuned. Until then, peace.